Merritt Street, we're building a new morning show where our guiding principle is to always value your time. We'd love for you to join us. Be part of our community. Each morning will be packed full of news, information, advice, and a lot of fun. And we promise we'll never waste your time. I'm Dominique Soxa. I'm Fanchon Stinger. Join us for Morning on Merritt Street. 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Essential Television. Happy Wednesday, Secret Squad. I hope you loved last week's 100th episode celebration. I had such a ball putting that together for you all. This week, I'm dialed in with best-selling author, speaker, and people skills expert, Vanessa Van Edwards. Vanessa is the lead investigator at the Science of People, where she teaches science-backed people skills to audiences around the world. Her mission is to help introverts leverage their strengths, show high achievers how to activate their secret skills, and teach awkward people to feel more confident. Her new book, Cues, Master the Secret Language of Charismatic Communication, teaches how to control our social cues and become more charismatic to others. This is the secret to exuding charisma. Oh, I'm so excited about this podcast with you, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to talk about secret science today. I can't wait. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love anything that's secrets. And I love that you are sharing these secrets because I believe this is something everyone can benefit from. And I love how you take those who don't really know how to benefit and to activate everything they need and also help those who have it actually make it even better. Yes. You know, it's funny because I used to believe that you were either born charismatic and that was, or that was it, right? You either born charismatic or you're not. And I thought, oh, well, that's just not me. You know, I'm a recovering awkward person. So I, you know, always struggle with sort of social anxiety. I get very in my head about things. And so when I discovered that charisma can be learned, it was like opening up a whole new world. And I used to think that charisma was for extroverts, that to be charismatic, you had to be the life of the party, the bubbly extrovert in the room. And what actually we find is that there are different flavors of charisma, that there, yes, there is the extroverted bubbly personality, but there's also the quiet, contemplative, powerful introvert. There's the compassionate, empathetic healer. And those are all different flavors of charisma. Oh, I'm finding this so interesting already because, so what you're saying, most people are not just introverted or extroverted. Mm-hmm. And also there's an, another category in there that most people don't know, which is ambiverted. So when we look at the population, most people are actually not extroverted or introverted. That's a very small percent of the population. Most people are actually ambiverted. So ambiverts have this very special skill set. I'm, I'm hoping that most people listening, I'm actually, I'm curious what you are as well. So introverts um, truly, truly are drained by all and every and all social interaction. They need lots of recharge time. And whenever they're in social, in social situations, they feel drained. Extroverts get energy from social situations. They need to be around people. They crave being around people. They're having a bad day, they need people to support them. They're having a good day, they need to be around people. They actually find being alone draining. That's a very small segment of people. Ambiverts 
like to thrive around the right people and places. When they're with their closest friends, their important people, people who support them, they come alive. Then they can feel like they can be their natural self, they can be talkative, they get energy, but they need time to recharge. Most people are in that in-between. Are you in that in-between category? I'm going to say it could be a percentage of the time, yes. I don't want to pick one or the other, I guess. But yes, I do come alive when I'm around those that I am supported by, charged by, that, yes. So yes, I'm probably the second one. Yes, we, and so many people, as long as we understand how our social battery works, it's much easier to be charismatic. And so I think that once we understand sort of the secret cues of charisma, it becomes way easier to show up as our best self because we're not walking into what I call social traps, yes, right? Yes. Social traps are people, places, and things that drain you. Uh-huh. Oh, those uh-huh. are the worst. Oh, and I love that because I am very aware of that. So I'm, yes, I'm recognizing myself in everything you say. Because I know what drains me. I know what makes me comfortable and uncomfortable in a social setting, especially. And I have, mm-hmm. you know, once you, once you get to be my age of 68, there's a lot that's uh, very positive about getting older, about aging, because you do learn so much about yourself. And I, and I mm-hmm. think it's so important to take advantage of your, mm-hmm. of your life and what you've learned over the years. And Thankfully, I have learned what I can say no to because it's not pleasant. Life is short, and I've learned in that social situation, I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm not going to be happy, so I'm not going to put myself in that situation. That is the way that we take control of our awkwardness. That is the way that we take control of our social strength, and this is a very easy exercise. I would highly recommend, if you feel brave enough, if you're listening, take out a sheet of paper, draw three columns. In the first column, Put your thrive, all the people, places, and things where you feel like you're your best self, the things that you just feel like you come alive, you're, 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 you're most positive, you have lots of energy. Put all the people, places, and things. That could be topics, that could be locations, that could be scenarios, that could be people. In the middle, in the last column, I want you to put what's toxic. When you see this on your calendar, you dread it. When you have this in your day, you wake up going, no, no, please no. It could be a person. It could be a type of meeting. It could be a place. For example, for me, I do really, it's really hard for me in loud bars or happy hours or networking events. So those are all my, 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 my toxic column. The middle column are the ones that switch. And that's actually the most important column. The middle column is like, hmm, I'm unsure about what this triggers in me. I need to do more research. When you know those things, you know exactly how to prep for your day, how to arm yourself, the social skills you need to avoid your toxic column, put as much as you can in your thrive column, and do some experimenting on that middle column. I love it. I loved your TED Talk and how you talked about our emotions being contagious. Can you introduce this idea to the listeners? Yes. So can I share my really, really gross experiment to it? Yes, please. Okay. Okay. So by the way, I shared this a little bit in my TED talk and I was so nervous. It was so, it's such a funny experiment. So here's the experiment. They had people come into the lab and sweat. Now there was two different groups of sweaters. The first group had to run on the treadmill and sweat. So just regular old cardio sweat. The second group, they told them, we're going to take you skydiving for the first time. So they had them jump out of a plane wearing sweat pads. Okay. 
very high pressure. They took these sweat pads, same sweat pads that we were wearing in both their suits, and then they had people smell them. <gasps> I know, I know, I know. Could you imagine smelling someone's sweat pad? No. It's horrible, but stick with me, stick with me. So they, they smell these sweat pads, right? Smell both. When people had no idea what they were smelling, by the way, they, they literally were just asked to smell this, this random sweat pad. The people who smelled the skydiving sweat pads, the fear sweat pads, felt afraid. The part of their own brain that processes fear in the amygdala began to activate. In other words, we have so many cues that are happening, even down to the smell of fear. This is one of the reasons why when I had you make that toxic column, if you feel dread or fear or worry or anxiety before you walk into a room, people can literally smell it and they catch it. The reason I want you to go to the places that make you thrive is because that's contagious too. When you show up as your happiest, best, most confident self, people smell it, they catch it, and you literally become more memorable. I think that is the key that's underlying all of our interactions. Oh, I love that. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I know. And so, you know, that that's it helped that gave me a lot of relief. I'll, when I read that study, I'll be honest with you, I know it's gross, but I was like, that's the reason why sometimes, have this ever happened to you? You walk into a room yes. and you're just Im immediately feel off. You're like, what, what happened? Why do I feel so strange, so strange, so burnt out? I feel like something is wrong. That is because our bodies, our brains are cue reading machines. They are constantly smelling, hearing, looking, tasting, touching, looking for cues that can inform us about our environment. And this second study is where my research began to take another turn. So the second study, what they did is they wanted to know about social rejection. So they thought, okay, fear is contagious, but what happens with social rejection? That's a little bit a, a softer cue. So a very simple experiment. They found that when people spot a cue of social rejection. So just so a cue, by the way, is a very subtle, powerful social signal. So we are sending hundreds of these cues back and forth. They are through our voice, our face, our body, our words, and our imagery. So that could be what we're wearing, our colors, our ornaments, the props behind us in our videos. Those are all cues. So they found that a social rejection cue could be an eye roll. It could be a scoff. <sighs> yeah. It could even be the way someone asks a question. Yeah, I hope you had a good weekend. Yes, right. yes. Those are all subtle cues of social rejection. When we spot a cue of social rejection, they found that our vision increases. Our field of vision actually widens to see more. What's incredible about this is this means that if you walk into a meeting or you hop on a video call and you see your colleague eye roll, your body immediately picks up on that cue, reacts, your pupils dilate so you can take in more of the environment in case you have to escape if there are other people sending social cues of rejection and what your plan of attack is these cues are changing our physiology and we have to be able to control them that is so interesting as yeah. i hear you saying this it's actually very true then if you hang around negative people is it true you might start becoming negative yourself okay this is exactly, we're getting to the heart of the issue now. So if we 
are with people who are positive, we tend to catch that positivity. If we are around people who are negative, we tend to catch the negativity. And this happens even from emails. So one of the sections of cues, so we talked about the different types of cues, right? So there are four types of cues, nonverbal, vocal, verbal, and imagery. Verbal is actually a very contagious one, especially now. You know, now we're doing more and more digital communication. We're chatting and DMing and slacking and gramming and tweeting and TikToking and you know all those things, right? I'm 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 a social newbie, so I'm yeah. gonna use all the all the wrong slang. I just know. I, know, it. I, I didn't so recognize like, a few you just said. <laughs> I, I do too. You're more in than me. You're more tuned in. <laughs> I don't know. So you're, we're using all these things. We're, we're sending more emails than ever. This is why you can get one email and it ruins your whole morning, right? You get one bad email, and that is because research has found that the types of words that we read affect our behavior and our psychology. Here's another study. Forget. Can I share another study? I love, I love science. I love science. Okay. I love it. Okay. This 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 research study I'm about to share has changed the way that I write emails. So here's what they did. They wanted to know if they could infect people and change their behavior with words. So they took a very simple experiment. In this experiment, participants came into the lab and completed a little intelligence test, okay? In the set of directions, very simply, they were something like, you know, please complete the following 12 questions. It will take you 20 minutes to finish it. Let the researcher, research assistant know when you're done. Very simple set of directions. The first group got that simple set of directions. The second group, had the exact same intelligence test and the exact same set of directions, except they swapped out a couple of achievement-oriented words. So achievement-oriented words are words that get our juices flowing. Words like win, words like succeed, words like master. We love hearing words like that. They sprinkled them in. So they just swapped out a couple of those, those directions with achievement-oriented words. They found that just a few positive words change participants' behavior in the task. They actually performed better on the intelligence test. So just giving someone intelligent words made them more intelligent. Not only that, so you can make your team, your family, your colleagues, your kids, your dates better by using better words, but that also changed their motivation. They found that the participants who had the achievement-oriented words worked longer on the intelligence test and enjoyed it more. I, like what? Like this is crazy. That means whenever someone opens, sees the subject of your email, when they open your calendar invite, when they hop onto your LinkedIn profile, you are either setting them up for success or setting them up for failure. If you use purposeful, powerful verbal cues, you are literally gifting them positivity. Wow. You know, when you say it, it just makes so much sense. Can you talk about how we can use body language and hand signals to our benefit? Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, it's funny. You mentioned, can I add one more thing that please. you reminded me of? Oh, please. Is, I want to be careful for a moment. I don't believe in toxic positivity. Okay. So I don't believe in being fakely or inauthentically positive all the time. Uh -huh. And so I want to make a, I want to, I think everyone listening can do this advanced tip, which is this positive is great. And if you actually feel positive and you want to infuse positivity, wonderful achievement oriented words are not positive. Like win is good. Succeed is good. Master. We're getting into more capability. The next level for this is that 
we are really searching for words that trigger our competence or our warmth. And so it's not just about being positive. It's also, can you set someone up for how you want them to think, feel, and behave? So if you want your team to be capable and efficient and productive, that doesn't mean positive. That means, hey team, today's a big day. Let's crush this to-do list. I can't wait to speed through this task list with you. We're gonna be super productive onwards. Now, those aren't positive. Those are empowering. Yes. And so I just, I want to add that little note there is that I think this is about being purposeful and not necessarily always positive. That's where the power comes in. That's so true. Because if you stand there and give a raw, raw speech, like you guys are <laughs> champions, you're perfect. You can get this done and we're winners. That's a false positive, really. Don't you believe? Yes. Because and, and they're, it, they're sitting there like, well, wait a minute. I don't feel like... I really have it in me to blow it away today. I, I like, I, I'm not really feeling it, but I think I'm going to disappoint actually. Exactly. That can actually set people up for feeling like they're so far off from the target that they're going to miss, they're going to miss it. And we know in authenticity, right? Yes. So if you're showing up pretending to be fake, and by the way, the research shows this is, and this is, this is a nonverbal leak is that um, Dr. Barbara Wilde found that when she showed people pictures of a true, authentic, genuine smile, a genuine smile reaches all the way up into these crow's feet, it, up, it activates the upper cheek muscles. When that happens, that is a true, authentic smile. A fake smile is just on the bottom half of the face. It doesn't actually reach up into those cheek muscles. When people see a picture with the positive, authentic smile, they catch it. They feel happier. But when people see a picture of the fake smile, they don't catch anything. Oh, so we know this. So this is, again, I want you to think, what do I want to truly give people? What are my intentions? That could be positive, but that could be goal-oriented. And that's okay, too. Yes. That's totally okay, too. Okay, hand gestures. Okay, let's yes. talk hand gestures. Okay, so I'm going to say a kind of a funny statement, but I love the palm. I love a palm. I think palms are the most underrated part of the body. And here is why I know that's silly, but palms are my favorite part of the body. Oh, I love that. As a body language expert, the reason why this is true is because we as humans instinctively love a palm. The reason for this is because our greatest fear as humans is feeling unsafe or like we aren't acknowledged. Every human on this planet wants to feel acknowledged, right? That's in our interactions, we want to feel acknowledged by our partner, by our kids, by our colleagues. A palm is actually the way that we do that non-verbally. So if I say, hello, good morning, and I hold up my palm, or if I wave to a colleague across the room with my palm up, or if I invite someone over to sit with me in the break room, or if I beckon a friend over at a party, there is no greater feeling in the world than being invited to sit at a table. Right. Oh, I love this. It's yeah. so true. Yes. It, and it's so simple. But my goal with some of these cues is these are simple, easy fixes that we don't even realize are like little low hanging fruit. So whenever you hop on a video call, the very first thing I want you to do is palm up morning. Oh, yeah, morning. Hey, team. Right. Every single one of my YouTube videos, if you watch my YouTube channel, you will notice I start every single YouTube video with a double palm. Hello, friends. I love it. <laughs> I love it because it so, is a very happy, positive, welcoming, true. And it's, yes. 
And it shows, so it shows openness, number one. So it shows, look, I'm not hiding anything. I'm not concealing anything. If you think about this from a, from a nonverbal perspective, a fist uh-huh. is closed hands, right? I'm hiding my, my palms. That means anger, right? If we see a fist, we know, uh-oh, uh-oh. Someone's angry, someone's withholding, someone's clenched, someone's tight. Woof. I don't want any of those things. So the palm is literally the opposite of anger. So one, we like that openness. And then second, we like to be acknowledged. So the first 10 seconds of any interaction, video call, in person, I want to see your palm. (laughs) When you walk into a room, greet, host, hi, how are you? Good to see you, right? So all those palm up gestures. The second thing, and this is where we get, we move from warmth or openness to competence. And I mentioned these two two traits a couple of times because they are critical for our charisma. You first want to signal warmth and openness. The second thing you want to signal is competence, that you know what you're talking about, that you can um, be trusted with important information. When we're interacting with people, the two questions we want to ask about someone is, can I trust you? And the second question is, can I rely on you? Those are the two questions we're trying to answer in every interaction. That's it. When you hopped on this podcast, the very first thing you wanted to know from me is, Vanessa, can I trust you? Vanessa, can I rely on you? right? That was what you were asking me too. So we show trust with a palm. We can show reliability and competence with gestures and really competent speakers know their stuff so well, they can speak to you on two tracks. They can speak to you with their hands and they can speak to you with their words. And what's incredible is I'm using lots of gestures right now, even though you can't see them, but that actually changes my vocal charisma. It changes how charismatic I sound. Researcher Susan Goldwyn Meadow wrote a beautiful book researched about hearing gesture, that even the way that I use my hands shows I am so powerfully in love with these topics that I'm showing them to you with my hands. And hopefully, hopefully my listeners, you can hear that I love it so much that I literally can't stop talking about my hands and my my words. Oh, I, I, you know what? I love that you're saying this and I love that you have your YouTube channel so everyone can see it because I tend to talk with my hands all the time. And I feel like, oh, I'm probably using my hands too much. And it's probably annoying the viewer because no, I'm no. forever talking with my hands, nodding my I head, nodding my head. Yes. Da, 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 da. So I'm so glad to hear you say that. You are right. And so what's funny is if you want to try a little experiment, what you could do is um, next time you want to practice this, try sitting on your hands while telling a complicated story. You will immediately find that it is actually hard for you to speak. I think so. You're right. And that's because Susan Goldmeadow found that there's this, this relationship between our gestures and our competence, that very competent people, they have this loop of words to gestures of words to gestures. So as presenters, as speakers on video calls in meetings, the more that you can highlight your words with your gestures, the more competence you show and gestures are competence cues. So if I'm talking about something big, I'm gonna hold my hands to show I'm talking about a really beach ball big idea. If I'm talking about something small, I'm gonna hold my hand really small and show just a little tiny little thing. Even that, you can maybe even hear that my voice changed when I talked about big versus small. Yes. <laughs> and we do that with our gestures as well. That Crazy. is so interesting. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. I'm going to do something right now because you've been talking about charisma. We do two things in every podcast. One is drink of the day, and we create a drink of the day for our guest. And so this drink of the day that I've created, isn't it gorgeous? It's gorgeous. I just love it. It matches my dress. Oh my gosh, it does exactly. And (laughs) I'm calling this drink liquid charisma. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> yes, it is so yes. beautiful and smooth, and it's a minty cocktail that you will just love. It has four blackberries, two sprigs of mint, one half ounce of simple syrup, two ounces of citrus vodka, one half ounce lemon juice, and sparkling water in a berry flavor. Mine is Spindrift Blackberry. Gently muddle the blackberries and mint sprigs in a shaker. Add the simple syrup, vodka, lemon juice, and ice, and give it a shake. Pour into a rocks glass with fresh ice, top with soda, and stir. Garnish with more raspberries and mint. So, cheers to you. Cheers, cheers. That looks beautiful. I love. I need some liquid charisma. I like it. Mm-mm. So, for all of you listeners, you can go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com. You can get a photo of the drink, and you can get the recipe. So that is liquid charisma. So now I want you to know, I'm obsessed with your new book, Cues, Master the Secret Language of Charismatic Communication. Tell us about these cues you've discovered. Oh, yes. So this this book started 17 years ago. I I had no idea this was going to turn into a book. So 17 years ago, I started noticing all of these, what I called curious cues. So I started a little folder on my desktop called curious cues, where I just started to document all of these weird cues I was seeing. And I was seeing there was kind of two buckets. There was cues that were negative that I was seeing when athletes would come out saying they were doping or people lying on the, in the news, not that anyone ever lies in the news, never, <laughs> never. But, it, it, you know, just if that were to happen, you know, celebrities coming out that they had cheated. And I was like, wow, across these scandals from doping to cheating to athletes, to celebrities, to politicians, they're showing the same negative cues over and over again. So I started to catalog them. The second bucket was the opposite. It was that highly successful, highly charismatic people across business, politics, celebrities, athletes, we're also showing the same charisma cues over and over again. And so over the course of 17 years, I began to develop patterns where I would notice there was buckets of, okay, that 
That's competence, that's warmth, that's guilt, that's shame, that's anger, that's disgust. And about, yes, it, it was this, this, I realized there is something here that there are these cues that are being spoken all around us, yet we don't seem to know the language. And so I thought, okay, what if I could study these cues like studying for a foreign language where I created a kind of glossary of each cue, what it means and how and when you use it. And that ended up birthing cues. <gasps> with, never would have guessed that it would have come into that. But that is, so I believe that we can master this language. And I believe I once we speak it, it changes everything. So there are, we all use cues that we don't even realize we're using. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that's actually a good question. There are cues that we accidentally use all the time. Uh -huh. So that's everything from, uh, here's a really, really funny one. Okay. So one of my favorite ones is a vocal cue uh -huh. since we're, we're doing audio. So vocal cues are the cues that we most often forget about. We often think about words. We think about our gestures or our body language, but vocal power is like the secret sweet spot. So one cue is the question inflection. So the question inflection is when someone goes up at the end of their sentence so it sounds like they're asking a question. Now we know as humans that when someone says, how are you? We're asking up, right? We're asking a question. When the question inflection cue is used on a statement, something very interesting happens. Research finds that when the question inflection is used on a statement, people go from just listening to scrutinizing. It's as if their brain goes, wait a minute, did he believe that? Did she mean that? Why did she ask it? And the reason for this is because liars often use the question inflection. We did a massive set of research on lie detection. This is in the book where we had people submit lies to us. We had them play two truths and a lie. So two truths and a lie is a really fun game. You say two true statements and a lie. You try to mix them up so people don't know what they are. So we'd have people submit two truths and a lie in a random order. And we always knew the lie most people will use the question flexion on their lives. So they'll say something oh. like this. They'll say, um, I was born in Los Angeles. I love dogs and I'm a vegetarian. Oh, how funny. You're not a and vegetarian. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not a vegetarian. I grew up in Los Angeles and I love dogs, but I'm not a vegetarian. And I love vegetarians, but I'm not a vegetarian. So... What we, we thought, wow, it's because liars do not believe what they're saying. And they're asking, do you believe this? Oh, my And God. so we would hear this question inflection. And this happens also in sales. So I do tons of sales training. And this is the biggest mistake sales people make. They're on the phone. They're closing the deal. They're in the close. And they're doing so well. And they go, they give away all their power. They go, we'd love to work with you. We'd love to have your business. And the cost of our service is $5,000. Oh, no. When you ask your price, your timeline, your important news, it's like saying to someone, I don't really believe this number and you shouldn't either. They get more pushback, more negotiations, more doubt. So the question inflection is a very powerful cue because that one cue, if that question inflection is used on a statement, it's going to immediately make people doubt you. That is an example of a cue being used accidentally and how we, when we take control of it, when we know we're giving our power away, we get the power back. Oh, wow. 
There was was so many lie detection cues. I can't even tell you. We could talk about it for days. You can't believe the stuff we found in this research. I can't believe. Okay. So, and then what are some vocal cues that increase a sense of confidence? Oh, yes. Okay. So definitely using a neutral inflection on our statements, right? So that that's incredibly important. So not accidentally, accidentally using the question inflection or known as up talk. The other way that we increase our vocal competence is this is a hard one, but I, I think we can do it. You ready to do it? It's a hard one. Yes. Okay. We're going to try. Okay. So this is all about the tone of your voice. Researchers, the way that they found this is they interviewed doctors and they had the doctors record 10 second voice tone clips. So in these clips, the doctors would say their name, their specialty and where they worked. So it could be something like this. <clears throat> Hi, my name is Dr. Edwards and I specialize in oncology. I work at Children's Presbyterian Hospital. Okay, very simple clip. They took these clips and they warbled the words. So you could hear the pace, the tone, the cadence, the volume, but not the actual words being said. They wanted to strip all verbal cues away and just leave the vocal cues. Then they asked people to listen to these clips and rate the doctors on warmth and competence. The two things that we know are the most important. Here's what they found. The doctors, by the way, imagine getting a clip of that's how they could sound like, 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 womp, 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 like Charlie Brown, right? Like they, they sounded like you could barely hear them. You could barely, you couldn't understand anything. And you're asked, how friendly is this person? How smart is this person? Very hard to do. They found that the doctors who had the lowest warmth and competence ratings had the highest rate of malpractice lawsuits. <gasps> this oh, wow. indicates we don't just sue doctors based on their skills. We sue doctors based on how they sound. And we decide that within the first few seconds of hearing them. Because we don't think they're competent and we don't think they're warm. Exactly. So they're not relating. So, they don't care about us. Yeah. And we're like, wow, if they don't, if we can't trust them and we can't rely on them, which we decide a lot of those answers based on vocal power, if we don't think we can trust and rely on doctors, we're not going to take them seriously. And that leads to more, more malpractice lawsuits. Now, what were the patterns? Why is it that some doctors ranked off the charts in warmth and competence? Well, the first pattern we already discussed, which is the doctors who use the question inflection were rated the lowest in competence. So they sounded like this. Hi, my name is Dr. Edwards, and I specialize in oncology, and I work at Children's Presbyterian Hospital. <gasps> right? So, they, yes. uh, 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 uh. so my other challenge for you, please go listen to your voicemail. Please, please make sure that you are saying your voicemail, not asking it. I hear so many voicemails of professionals. Hi, this is Vanessa. Glad you called. Leave a message. Yes, I so hear it. Yes, which you're giving away your competence. That's the first one. The second thing they found is that the doctors who use the lowest end of their natural tone were rated as the highest in competence and warmth. Now, what I mean by this is it wasn't that the male with the lowest baritone did best, right? The men with their low, low baritone best. It was just that any gender, so male or female, if they use the lower end of their natural tone, they were rated as, as more competent. So I'm going to do a little demo for you. I'm working really hard to keep my voice in my lowest natural tone. 
when I'm speaking to my daughter or I'm speaking to my husband, I tend to go a little higher like this. Now, this is still natural for me, but if I were to give my entire podcast interview with, with this kind of tone of voice, it would drive you crazy, Yes. right? Yes. It's too high. And you think, no, no, no. And so every time I hear myself go a little higher in my range up here, uh-huh. I take a deep breath. I relax my vocal cords and I go right down to my low. And that's how we like to hear people. Wow. That is so interesting. Oh, I like like the downward. Notice how I did not go as high as I usually do because I have a very high, shrill voice and I talk really fast. Talking fast is actually good. So you don't have to worry about that. And another little tip here, by the way, there's a a sidebar tip to this, which is, so keeping your voice nice and low, making sure that you're, whenever you hear yourself go up here, Uh you just take a deep breath and speak on the out breath. Okay, so that's, it gets you right down there. The other thing is if you hear yourself going into vocal fry. So vocal fry is a, a really common problem. It typically um, happens more with women. Vocal fry is when our voice sounds like it's a bacon sizzling in a pan. So uh-huh. vocal fry, vocal fry like this. So if oh. I were to give like my talk and I would talk like this, you wouldn't believe me. And that's because you would hear a lack of competence or confidence yeah, and it would drive true. you crazy. It's true. Right? It's so true. true. Okay, so here's my little quick tip. Okay. If you hear yourself going to vocal fry, you can fix it immediately. Just speak louder. Vocal fry is a problem of breath. Vocal fry is when you don't have enough breath going through your vocal cords, so they rattle. That's exactly what's happening in vocal fry. So the moment you, the lower you, here's what happens. People hear themselves going to vocal fry. They're embarrassed and they speak even lower, which gets even worse. So, so they'll go, uh, uh, um, and then I, I just don't, I'm sorry. I, uh, I, and they'll go even lower and it gets even worse. So speak louder with more breath and it will immediately get rid of your vocal fry. And if someone else in your meeting or in your life is using vocal fry, just say, can you speak up? I can't hear you. Perfect. You'll immediately get rid of their vocal fry. I'm, I'm <laughs> loving this. Okay, so what's the biggest mistake people make when trying to be taken seriously? This is the problem that the smartest people make. So most of my readers and my YouTube students are high achievers, very highly successful, very smart, off the chart, smart, very successful. The biggest mistake that smart people make when trying to be successful or impressive or look smart is they don't know what cues to send. So they send none at all. They go stoic. They go mute. There's a a common misperception that powerful people under cue, they stifle or mute all of their cues. So what happens is, is as people want to be more impressive, they still their face, they use less gestures, which we already talked about, gestures are incredibly important. They use less vocal charisma, so they sound a little bit more like they don't care, a little monotone, Uh that also goes into vocal fry, and they try to move less. So the going mute is a cue in itself. So going mute is a danger zone cue. So a danger zone cue is a part of the charisma scale. So I talk about this a lot in the book where that's where all those bad actors, remember I've talked about that at the very beginning, all yeah. those, the dopers and the liars and the cheaters, yeah. that's what happens when we lie. So when people don't want to be caught, when they don't want to be noticed, when they're embarrassed or ashamed or guilty, they under signal. So smart people, here are smart people going, I want to be powerful and I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my body or my voice. I'm going to go mute. That looks just like a liar. When liars are focused so much on their verbal content, they can't do their cues. They also go mute. 
So what I want to encourage people listening is don't go mute. That actually makes you less memorable. And it also puts you in the danger zone. It makes you look more like a liar. Yes. And wouldn't you say also, if you're lying, don't overcompensate, don't over speak and give too many cues. Okay. Don't answer questions that aren't asked. I've always been so fascinated by liars that are trying to prove they're not lying. To me, me it's too. so obvious when someone's lying. Oh, I'm obsessed with liars. I, I find it endlessly fascinating. You know, that's why, you know, the lie detection research was just like a treasure trove. Yes. What's, what's interesting is, and this is going to be a controversial thing I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, say it. which is, I think every person should know their lying tells. Every person on this earth has lying tells. And they typically are the same. Typically, like every person has their own set of tells they use when they lie in guilt or shame. And they're a little different for everyone. We can find patterns. So in our lie detection research, there was statistical patterns. There are patterns that most liars use, but there is no Pinocchio's nose. There's no one cue that everyone uses when they're lying. So that means I think the most important information you can have about yourself is what you look like, what your body does, what your voice yes. does when you lie. Yes. You should know that about study yourself. Study yourself right? when you're telling the truth and study yourself when you're lying. I think that's, uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that either, but if you're really I, smart, my, then you'll do that. You will study yourself when you're telling the truth and study yeah. yourself when you're trying to lie. Right? And, and I have it. I have a little exercise in the book. I try to make it fun, uh, a lie to me exercise where I give you a couple of prompts to lie to me and I want you to record yourself doing them so I can just share them with you here. They're very simple. So um, first open up your camera and um, pretend that you're talking to me, me, Vanessa, pretend you're going to send me this video. Okay. So, cause I want you to really imagine that you're talking to a stranger, open up your camera, pretend you're going to send this video to me. And first, I want you to tell me what you ate for breakfast yesterday. So I want you to tell me that. The reason why I asked this question very specifically is because I want you to do a recall question. Truth tellers recall the truth, right? And it has to be a non-anxious or non-nerve wracking thing. So what did you eat for breakfast yesterday? Then I want you to tell me your most embarrassing story, your real most embarrassing story. And lastly, I want you to make up an embarrassing story and tell it to me as if it's your real embarrassing story. That exercise is really illuminating because it lets you see what you look like when you're recalling truth, just as you just mentioned so brilliantly. It lets you see what you're doing when you recall nervous truth. So your nervous tells, I talk about this in the book, your nervous tells are different than your guilt tells, right? So what you do when you're nervous are different than when you do when you're guilty or lying. And the last question, of course, is your lying tells. Those three things are a treasure trove of information. Do that for you and then send that exercise to your partner, to your best friend, to your colleagues and code each other's. You yes. will find out so much about each other. It's a good weekend. It's a good weekend activity. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad that you ended that with saying, send it to someone because mm -hmm. I was thinking about it as you were describing it. I was thinking about me doing it and I thought, okay, I, I could do that, but how would I do that knowing I was not going to send it to you? But, mm. but yeah, I would, I think it's a great exercise knowing now that I'm going to send it to someone. You're going to send it to someone. You're going Love to send it. your video to someone to be transparent and you're going to get their video. Yes. So what a, I mean, look, I'm about radical transparency and radical honesty. I started learning these tells and 
I will, I will be honest with you. When you learn the cues, you will never be able to unlearn them. Oh. Once you see them, you will see them everywhere. It's a little bit of a blessing and a curse. And so when I began this research and began to uncover, you know, these tells with lies and the question functions, I thought I have to share this with my husband. I have to share this with my mom. I have to share this with my best friend because I would rather them know my tells and I would rather know theirs than pretend that we're not seeing them. And so I also think it's a choice you can make on you know, how transparent and vulnerable do you want to be in your closest relationships? Oh, that's so true. Mm -hmm. Because I know that if I went home right now and sat down with Philip, we've been together almost 50 years. We've been married 45, wow. over 45 years. And wow. boom, boom, boom. If, if I said, tell me my top five tells when you know that I'm, I mean, I don't know if I have five, but let's just say five tells when you can tell I'm lying. And I'll tell you your top five. We would get them, boom, on the dot. You've got to ask him and everyone should ask their partner before you even do the exercise. What do you think my tells are? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Because he knows. I'm sure he, he, I'm sure knows. you both can know. He knows. Yeah. And he knows I know. <laughs> he knows I know he knows. <laughs> but Radical I know his as well. I know his as well. Radical transparency. <laughs> it's really kind of funny. It's kind of comical after 50 years. It's like, hello, come on. I saw your feet pointed towards the door. We have these jokes. Your feet are pointed towards the door because, you know, there's this funny list that floats around the world of, oh, you look to the left when you said that. Your feet are pointed uh, towards the door. You know, those funny yes. ones. Those toes give away a lot. Those toes give away a lot. <laughs> it's so funny. So you teased this question and I need to hear your answer. How do okay. you get someone to stop interrupting you in a nice way? Okay, let's talk about it. So we all have that person who talks and talks and talks and won't stop talking. In this interview, it's definitely me. I know you've been trying to get a word in. Sometimes I just, I just keep talking and no, talking. Not true, not true. I'm so bad about interrupting because uh, I want the, okay. yeah, I hear so many questions. <laughs> Okay, good. Okay. So if you have someone, first of all, I want you to take some preventative measures. So if you know in your life, you have an over talker or a droner, like someone who drones on and on, I would highly recommend, especially if you're on the phone doing preventative measures. So this is to be as simple as I have two things to tell you. So if you say at the very beginning of our I have two things to tell you, they have to come back to your second thing. Like they literally can't interrupt. So they, they, you can remind them, remember I had that second thing. So one, if you have two, three, five things, tell them that. If you have something long or a story, say, I have to share this with you. It might take me a minute, but I want to make sure I explain the whole thing. <laughs> so literally prevent them from jumping in. And when they do jump in, you can say, oh, wait, 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 let me just finish it. So you understand the whole thing. Right. So preventative measures are worth gold. They're going to help prevent that droner from going on and on and on. If you are stuck and you're already talking to interrupter or you're surprised by interrupter, there's a couple of nonverbal things you can do. The first one I fondly call the fish. So you know how a fish opens their mouth to breathe? We know this as a subtle social cue that when someone opens their mouth, they're about to say something. So if you want to get a word in, I would literally and audibly open your mouth <laughs> so that it shows that it's open. We are, you will, you will notice when you do this, people go, oh, because they are cued to stop and that's your moment to jump in. So open your mouth like a fish, like a little, oh, I even like hearing the pop, right? Yeah. If you can hear that. I, love it. <laughs> I wouldn't repeat it, right? No, we don't want to be Nemo like going through, but one open is plenty. 
That's the fish that usually works, usually stops them, startles them to do it. And it's very subtle. By the way, you can also do that on the Zoom call if you're on mute. So if you're on mute and you go and open your mouth, people can usually see that in the yeah. grid of, of the yeah. Okay, the fish, it's very subtle, often works. If that fish didn't work, let's level up. The next level is called the pupil. So remember when we were in school and we had to ask the teacher something, we would raise our hand up. We also show our palm, we love a palm. Palms are attention getters. Remember, we love palms. We always wanna see a palm where we think, oh, we're being acknowledged. So if you want someone to stop talking, I would slightly raise your hand up as if you're a pupil asking a question. First, if someone is a narcissist, they might think that you have something to say to acknowledge them and they will stop and let you, even if it's not, yeah. <laughs> even if it's not an acknowledgement. So they usually will stop because, oh, it's a palm. And second, this is the universal stop gesture. When you hold up your hand to someone, just if you hold up your hand palm front, that is literally like a stop sign. It's a universal stop gesture. So it's also a subtle way to say, stop, I'm here. I want to say something. So a little palm up gesture. And the last one, this is like, oh, this is the one I hope you never get here, is a touch. Literally a physical touch. That's touching them on the hand, the back of the hand, the forearm or the shoulder. It's as if to say, I'm still here. It's my turn. I would like to say something. And by the way, you can combine all three. So open mouth up and the hand, you can open mouth and the, the touch. And if they're still talking, my friend, maybe they're not the person you should have in your life. Because if they ignore all three of those tips, they are not someone who respects you. I completely agree. I know of one person in my life that is just like that. And then when I finally do get the floor, get to say something, and they have to stop talking, they look away. Oh, I just, ooh. I know, it drives me crazy. So I, By the way, I um, try not to get into a conversation with this person. I would absolutely try not to get in conversation with that person. That is not worth your time. You deserve someone who gives you full attention and wants to hear your ideas. That's exactly A little right. subtle thing here is if you have an overhead gazer, so if you have someone, you just mentioned like someone who overhead, like have you ever had this where, especially, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles and you always would get to a party and someone wanted to see if someone more important just walked in. So people are always overhead gazing <laughs> over your over your head or you're at a work party and everyone, people are looking around, not looking at you. Okay. You can also do this if someone's on their phone a lot. So if someone is uh, fubbing you, they're looking at their phone and they're snubbing you, fub, phone plus snub is fub. You can do this. One, if they look over, over your head, turn around and look at what they're looking at. Yes. So literally be like, turn around and then be like, oh, what were you looking at? Or who's there? Every single time they look over your shoulder, follow their eye gaze. They will quickly realize how distracting it is and stop or walk away and see another person. So you can actually look where they're looking. And when they check their phone or fub you, you can also look down at their phone yes. and don't talk until they're looking up. Yes. Yes, I agree. And those are the people that you just decide I'm not going to engage with you. Yeah. I, right. I, you know, I respect myself more than that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll sometimes say to a couple of my chronic fubbers, I'll say, oh, I'll wait till you're done. Yes. Yes. I'll wait till you're done. Yes. <laughs> and I, and, yes. and chances are good that you'll probably never have a conversation with them again because they don't mind doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I empower you to, to set up that social assertiveness, right? Like yes. we ha our time is so valuable and so precious. And if you're, if you're sh showing up with your cues and you want to make your cues right, you need to interact with people who appreciate that. That's exactly true. Where can everyone go to get your fabulous new book? 
oh my goodness, wherever books are sold, Amazon, airports. I read the audio book. If you like my audio oh. uh, power, you can go read that. Uh, and uh, of course, Barnes and Noble. And uh, uh, you can also check out a bunch of the YouTube breakdowns I've done on my YouTube channel. So um, I would be so grateful if you wanted to pick up your copy. It means the world to me. This is like a a passion project, and I just can't wait to get it into people's hands. It, it's a shame that this podcast can't go on for hours and hours because your book is full of such valuable information. We've barely touched on it. I think we did seven cues. There's 89 left, so there's a lot more left. <laughs> it's an amazing, educational, brilliant book. Congratulations on it. I really want the listeners to get that book and read it. I mean, I think it's a book that you can pick up and read over and over and over again. Gosh, that is my hope. My hope is that we can use it like a dictionary or a glossary, that when you have a presentation and you want to beef up your competence, you turn to the how to look like a leader section and you pull right from it. When you have a meeting with your in-laws and you want to show up as warm and friendly, you open the likability section. When you, right, I want you to kind of use it as a desktop manual. That, that's my hope. There should be classes that are taught in every level of the education system of your book. Oh, my goodness. That is the greatest comment you could give me. That is my goal is to bring this for free to schools one day. So yes. thank you. You're so welcome. We've come to a place in the podcast now that we do. Like I said, we do two things. The second is we play a game. Do you like playing I games? Did. I like it. I love games. Okay. Well, we as long as we're not smelling, smelling sweat pads. I no, like we're game. not. <laughs> We're going to have some fun. This game we created called Urban Nomad. Now, I understand that you've lived in quite a lot of different places. Is that right? Uh, Every, there's little pins behind me for those who watch the video. But yes, I've been to so many different places. And I love that you put that map behind you so that people know your book is, can be purchased in a lot of different languages. Yes, so yes, yes. I think it's amazing that you've lived in so many different places. So to honor this, I'm going to ask you for some of your top secret recommendations only for the secret squad. So are you mm. ready? I'm ready. Okay, number one, your favorite secret spot to grab a cup of coffee in Portland. Oh my goodness, for sure. Nosa Familia coffee in the Pearl. And that's Pearl, like a secret spot. Oh, Nosa Familia is the best. Oh, I just see. I love it. I love secrets that you can share. Number two, favorite secret spot to get barbecue in Austin. Oh no. You know, this is quite controversial. This could get me in trouble. There are tribes around barbecue here. Okay. I'm going to go with my husband's tribe because I follow him around the barbecue train. And that is Le Barbecue. Le Barbecue. It also sounds great. Le Barbecue is my favorite barbecue. Oh, I love it. I love it. Because, you know, we live in, we have a home in Dallas as well. And I mean, you can find the best barbecue anywhere in Texas. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Your favorite secret beach spot in Thailand. Oh my goodness. Can I say my favorite beach spot in the world? Yes, yes. But that's what popped into my head. Yes. My favorite beach spot in the world that no one knows about or thinks about is Cartagena, Colombia. Ooh. Oh my goodness. I That is like this, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a historical town right in Colombia. It looks like Europe in 
in in the south it's incredible and it's a little secret spot and i just love it oh i love it i love that you told us about that oh my gosh i want that i want all of our listeners in the secret squad to know that georgia is on our staff here and she will do a blog with all of these favorite spots because you've already told us some phenomenal things okay Yay. so number four favorite shopping spot in dubai Whew. it has to be the largest mall in the world I mean, they have every, you can go skiing and you can ski in the mall. This is in Dubai. You can ski when it's a hundred degrees outside. You can ski in the mall and you can ski into Chanel. Oh my gosh. I've never been yeah. to Dubai, but my, oh. my daughter-in-law, my son and daughter-in-law have been to Dubai and she brought me back the most amazing Chanel gift. It's a, a gas can, but it's my <laughs> Chanel. It's amazing. Wait, did she see into the shop? Did she I see don't into the know. Shop? I'll have to ask them. I'll have to ask okay. them. I'll ask her. There's an aquarium and a ski slope. It's kind wow. of crazy. You've been to some amazing places already. Okay. Favorite secret spot to get a drink in Chile? Oh, okay. I'm going to say uh, there's, um, we had the pleasure of, of, of going all the way up the coast of Chile and there's a little spot on the coast called Fresas, which means strawberries, if you speak Spanish. And they have these little bars, little tiny kind of huts right on the water. And there's nothing like an ice cold beer looking at the ocean off the coast of Chile. Wow. Wow. This is just so amazing. Favorite secret spot to get authentic street food in China. Oh, okay. So um, my husband and I both studied abroad in Shanghai, China. And so we kind of fell in love over street food. So this is a very special question. And I would say um, that we attended university there. We went to Huadong Shida in um, Shanghai. We both speak Mandarin. And um, the, the little food cart pod outside of Huadong Shida where all the students eat, you're not going to get any better Chinese street food than right there because it's cheap, it's hot, and it fills you up for days. Wow. I am so excited for you that you've already had all of these experiences and you're so young. Number seven, favorite secret yeah. spot to get a sweet treat in Belgium. Oh, I mean, you have to honor the Belgian waffle and the street waffles are the best. So when you walk in Belgium, you can smell the waffle carts. And they're, they're not like American waffles. They do waffles like a different level. They're crystallized sugar in the waffles. So don't go to a fancy place. Find a street cart on one of the streets in Belgium. They have wonderful street carts in Brussels. That's where you get the waffles. Wow. That's, that's my favorite, favorite treat, for sure. I'm so hungry right now. <gasps> I know, me too. <laughs> I, can't, I, I just can't believe it. Okay, favorite secret spot to watch the sunset in Los Angeles. Oh, so I grew up in Los Angeles. I spent the first uh, 18 years of my life there. Then I went to Emory in, in Atlanta, Georgia. So to watch the sunset, I'm going to say, this might be a cliche answer, but the J. Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles, it has the best view in the city. You can see some art. You can get a cappuccino, a cafe, take a little tram up and watch the sunset from there. Oh, that sounds beautiful. And believe it or not, it's I've never been there. <gasps> I've never been what? there. I know. Oh my goodness. Well, when I come to LA, we'll go get a cappuccino up there. It's to, uh, it's just amazing. That's a date because <laughs> I have to tell you something. You've been to some beautiful places in this world. I We got very lucky in that we were able to um, uh, 
travel the world and uh, I was able to speak. So at the time I was doing speaking. And so I would get a speaking event somewhere and then we, they would pay for my flight and a little bit of extra money and like a hotel night. And we would just extend, extend, extend it for as long as we could afford it. And then go to the next place that offered me speaking. That's wonderful. I love that. Sadly, that brings us to the end of this episode. Oh. Now, before, no. I know, I'm sad. I'm truly sad. This has been just a wonderful. Now, before fun. we wrap it up, though, I need to ask you one final question. This podcast is all about sharing life-changing secrets. Do you have one major secret you've learned that you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, I was thinking about this because I love your show for this question. Um, and I think, I think it's this, which shocked me when I first started writing and I was coming out as a recovering awkward person, I thought no one's going to understand this. No, people are going to think it's crazy. And what I found is almost everyone feels like they're a recovering awkward person, or they have some kind of awkwardness inside them. And so I never expected that my, my YouTube channel, which I started in November, 2007, if you can believe when people thought I was crazy for doing YouTube. And I started talking about this, that I would have, I thought, oh, if a couple hundred people see my YouTube video, I'll be so happy. Yeah. We're at 54 million. <gasps> and all of those people are recovering awkward people. And so if you feel awkward or alone, or if you have social anxiety or if you struggle with fears or you're anxious, you are not alone and you should not struggle with it alone. You should absolutely reach out to people who can help you, people who are like-minded from you. And so for too long, I struggled alone. And now I'm realizing that we all have these things that we, we don't have to bear the burden alone. And so the secret I think is we all have a kind of awkwardness that we, that's okay. That's a part of us and we can reach out for it. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Can you now please oh tell God. the listeners how to find you online and one yes. more time, tell us where to get your new book. Oh my goodness. Yes. My website is scienceofpeople.com. I have all of my YouTube tutorials and a bunch of my free lessons on there. Cues is available wherever books are sold. I would love to say hi on YouTube or Instagram. Come check it out. And thank you so much for listening today. Oh, that was fantastic. I adore you. I think you're brilliant. I'm so happy you were oh. here with the listeners today. So Secret Squad, as always, head on over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for blogs, recipes, and behind-the-scenes photos. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.